I wanted to address a small technical issue with today's recording. Unfortunately, there was some fuzziness in the audio quality. However, I didn't want to let that deter us from sharing the incredible information that Dr. Eliza provided on the topic of burnout. Her insights and expertise were invaluable, and I didn't want to scrap such valuable content. So please bear with us regarding the audio quality, and I'm confident you'll still find tremendous value in what Dr. Eliza had to say. Today we're chatting about the stages or seasons of the burnout process and how to work within them to recover. You're listening to Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan, and I'm joined today by Dr. Eliza Collins. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. I'm so grateful you tuned in today. It means a lot to me. And if you love this conversation and you want to continue it or want to share your thoughts, your takeaways, or just any ahas that come up, come on over to Instagram. That is where I spend most of my time when it comes to social media. I'm at Cindy.MacMillan on Instagram. Make sure you're following me. Say hello. I'd love to hear from you. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Eliza Collins. Dr. Eliza is a burnout expert, a doctor of acupuncture and Eastern medicine, and certified functional medicine practitioner. She works with clients to recover from and prevent burnout by addressing mindset and underlying physical health issues, bringing them a sense of ease, agency, and wellness. Welcome to the show, Dr. Eliza. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. I'm really thrilled to be here. And I I wanted to kind of talk about, first, stress is everywhere, we can't avoid it, but when does a healthy amount of stress become burnout? Could you kind of talk about your burnout story and your business with and how you work with burnout? Yeah, absolutely. Burnout's kind of one of those insidious things because we don't really see it coming. It's something that builds over time. And so the best sort of working definition that we have of burnout right now is that it is a state of sustained chronic stress that over time degrades your ability to handle day-to-day stress with ease. So it's not necessarily this like aha moment of like, bang, all of a sudden I have burnout. It's this real slow erosion of your ability to continue to handle stress. And that can come from a variety of places. It can come from work. It can come from home life. It can come from family dynamics. It can come from relationships. And often it's usually a combination of those things. So for my personal burnout, um, I was a child of big T trauma. So my biological mother passed away when I was 13 months old. And from the time that we're, you know, about zero years old to about like six or so, um, that's when a lot of our patterns are formed. That's when we internalize a lot of our world. And so I had this template for having a nervous system that was kind of on edge because I was expecting a loss or I was expecting a lack of support or things like that, which my dad and my mom, well, my stepmom, we just call him mom. Um, but my dad and my, my stepmom didn't set up for me. They were very supportive people, but that trauma really kind of ingrained in me this sense of loss and the sense that I have to work for 
love, for affection, for success, for whatever the case may be. So I became a people pleaser. I became a perfectionist. And those are the types of habits that can serve you kind of well when you have a good structure of school where I could get straight A's and I could be a good student and I could be a decent dancer in my dance classes. But when I got pitched into the adult world and I had to control a lot more of my variables, it got really difficult for me and I really struggled with that. So um, after going through my wayward 20s, in my late 20s, I decided to become an acupuncturist. I had been an emergency medical technician. I wanted to go further in the medical field, but I didn't really like the way that industrial medicine was going. It felt like I wasn't going to spend a lot of time with my patients. Um, I was going to spend a lot of time medicating them, which I think medication can be great under the right circumstances, but I do think it's not always judiciously utilized. Um, so I wanted to have a more, uh, comprehensive and hands-on approach with my clients. So I ended up becoming an acupuncturist and I learned a lot of really amazing things in acupuncture school, but how to be a business owner wasn't one of them. Acupuncture school isn't business school. It's acupuncture school. And this is very common, not just for my school, but for the profession in general, you just kind of get tossed out at the end. And we don't have systems in most cases where like when you become a medical doctor, you can join a practice and start there and have a salary. Most acupuncturists start their own practices. And many of us struggle with the business aspect of that. And so I did because I didn't understand how to market, how to schedule, how to set boundaries around my time. So I would text patients back at 8pm on a Sunday night that wanted to get in for the week. And I got really resentful about that because I was like, why are these people bothering me on a Sunday? because they have a cell phone and they can, it wasn't their responsibility to not text me. It was my responsibility to hold a boundary and say, this is my time. I'm not going to check my messages, but I didn't know how to do that. And so this, this nexus of not having good boundaries and being really nervous and wanting to get this business going and feeling a lot of pressure, um, and, and the not enoughness and the perfectionism and the imposter syndrome that comes along with that, because Chinese medicine is 5,000 years old, if not more, and I went to school for three years. So I was like, how, how do I know enough to even treat these people? Over the course of time, about, I would say, five to six years while I built my business, um, that was my daily mindset. So I was wearing all the hats in my business. I was designing the website. I was the receptionist. I was the acupuncturist. I was the continuing education person. And it just got to be so much. And so back in 2019... I went through a lull in my business as happens in businesses. They happen all the time and not just in acupuncture practices. I, I freaked out and I contacted a colleague of mine who had moved to Europe and started two very successful practices in two different cities over the course of 12 years. And I said, you've got the secret sauce to build a really amazing practice. What is that? And she said, Oh, I burned out doing that horribly. And you're burnt out and I'm not going to help you build a successful practice. I'm going to help you address your burnout. And that will help you build a practice that's in alignment with your values and your own energy and the things that you want. And that might look very different from what the world told you an acupuncture practice looks like, but that's what we're going to do. And so that started me on the road to burnout recovery that I'm still on. I'm much farther along, but you know, like most types of recovery, it's something that you have to be mindful of always going forward. Um, and in the process of doing that and collecting these tools and getting other certifications and trainings for things like functional medicine and hypnosis gave me this really interesting constellation of tools to help other individuals address the same issues that I did without having to take the time, you know, to kind of 
trudge through it and find it themselves. Dr. Eliza, as you're talking, I'm, I'm almost, this is what you're describing as also becoming a coach or any type of entrepreneurship. You know, it's, we are wearing all the different hats. So I appreciate you, you know, talking to that. I was going to ask you a little bit later, but maybe now is the right time. How does acupuncture actually work with stress and burnout? That's a really great question because I feel like acupuncture, even though it's, I don't know, two, 3,000 years old at this point, it's still kind of misunderstood in, in Western culture because it's not a part of our culture. So acupuncture works in a variety of ways. And one of the amazing things that it does for stress in particular is that it helps regulate our stress hormones. So it helps reduce cortisol. It helps boost our immune system. It helps specific, and I say specifically regulate because it's not necessarily that we need to reduce cortisol in some cases. Some people who are dealing with certain types of stress don't have enough cortisol. Cortisol is one of those things that it changes over the course of 24 hours. We often think of things like hormones and neurotransmitters as just being in our system all the time, but we don't need them all the time. And so the really beautiful thing about acupuncture, it is kind of self-regulating. If you don't have enough, it helps your body in such a way that it gives you a little boost to get you a little more. And if you have too much, it can help your body eliminate it. And so it's a very regulating, very gentle treatment, which I find really useful with my local clients. Yeah, I love acupuncture. I don't go to acupuncture like, you know, monthly or anything. But when I do, I absolutely love the, I'm going to say almost the calmness that I feel afterwards. Yeah, we call that a chi coma. I get that too. I, and I love it. Like when my clients get it, this has happened to me with my acupuncturist. I've like, they, we get, we all keep cards on file. So it's not a big deal, but I like walked out one day and I was on such a high that I didn't pay. And I called her 20 minutes later and I was like, I owe you money. And she was like, yeah, no, we have your card on file. And that's why I was like, Oh, I do that at my office too. <laughs> now I'm going to jump to my favorite question. And that is, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? That's really interesting because for me, and this is, this is something that has been an evolution for me, it's the process. You know, when we think of seasons, when we think of stages, it's something to get through so that we can get to another side. And throughout my growth as an individual, And particularly now my growth with clients, when somebody comes to you with an issue where they don't feel good, they want to feel better. They want to go from point A to point B. And for me, it's not getting to point B. It's the process of getting to point B. So that it's not just point B. It's whatever comes after that. Or maybe going through the process and finding out that point B isn't actually where I want to be. I want to be someplace else completely. And so... That's what seasons have become to me. It's not necessarily something to get through so I can have something else. It's something to explore while I'm there. And it sounds a bit trite to say like, oh, it's, a, it's about the journey. But as I get older, it really is. Because that's where the good work is. That's where the meat is. Oh my gosh, I love that. Just the way you described about exploring that season while you're there. That's beautiful. Okay. Can you give us, now you've talked about burnout and, you know, given us a bit of a definition, but does, and I'm really curious about this, does being a type A personality increase your risk for burnout? 
That's such an interesting question. And this is an answer that I give a lot because it's something that I don't think it's straightforward. The answer is, I don't know. I would say yes. And probably because a lot of it has to do with our coping mechanisms. So how well do we cope? What's our attachment style? Are we an anxious attachment or we avoidant attachment? So it's not necessarily like a type A personality specifically of like the go-getter, the perfectionist, like those definitely, those attributes can play into burnout. But if somebody is a go-getter, but they also understand how to rest and how to recover and how to take care of themselves, they're not going to burn out as easily. Or if they have secure attachment and they don't feel as upended by challenges in relationships with partners or parents or children or coworkers, that's going to be a little bit different. So the type A personality, the way that I conceptualize it, or the way I think that we've historically conceptualized it is those attributes can contribute to burnout if the underlying foundation of the personality isn't quite as solid as it could be. That makes perfect sense to me because before we um, jumped on this call, I was thinking about, you know, we were going to be talking about um, burnout and I was thinking about, okay, would a type A personality just like really be more prone to it? But I love the way that you explained it. It's, it's their coping mechanisms. So I do want to go back just a second and, and talk about the difference between burnout and depression, because those are two different things, correct? They are two different things and they can exist separately or they can exist together. And I always really like being able to make this distinction for people. So when my coach was burnt out, she did not have depression. She just had burnout. She was happy in her relationship. She was generally happy with her life outside of work, but work was the primary focus of where she was getting drained and exhausted and resentful because she didn't have the boundaries necessary to do the work that she wanted in a way that filled her up versus drained her. But she wasn't depressed. I have a history of depression. And so when I was burnt out, I was also depressed. And so the way that I usually conceptualize it for people is that depression often feels like a weighted blanket over everything in your life. It tends to affect a little bit of everything. Burnout may be specific to one thing or a couple of things, but the rest of your life kind of feels okay. So somebody might be depressed, but not burnt out. Somebody might be burnt out, but not depressed, or somebody can exist with those together. Okay. So I'm just going to just talk back how I, how I heard that to make sure that I'm understanding. If we're depressed, it's like the way the blanket, as you mentioned, over our entire life. Whereas burnout, you may have a very happy home life or a very happy, I don't know, workout life, family life, but whatever is your piece may, and I'm going to talk about work here, but work may not be maybe as fulfilling or creative or interesting as it, and it could be, have been. It could be draining. It could be, you know, not in alignment with your values. That's something that we talk about a lot in burnout. And so if you're going into a job that is very much out of alignment with your values and you're not being appreciated or you're being given more work than is appropriate or that you're capable of, variety of things. Resentment comes up a lot in burnout. That's usually a good place where we, we need to find a boundary. Um, so if you're feeling really resentful of your job, like, oh God, and, and it takes away from you being able to be present with your family or your friends or your social circle, or to be able to recover a little bit better, that, that tends to be more in the burnout realm. 
Okay. Thank you. And while we're while we're at this piece of the conversation, can you just talk about the stages or the seasons of the burnout process? And do the seasons follow a linear path? <laughs> yeah. Do and don't. Again, I'm I'm very much not about absolutes. I rarely ever do I use always never statements. Um Typically, for a lot of people, the first season of burnout is not knowing that you're burnt out. Because we are so, I think, cultured, particularly in American culture and Western culture, to be the go-getter, to be the pull yourself up by the bootstraps, to, to you know, be the self-made man, woman, person. Um, it, that is so ingrained in our culture that it can be very difficult to recognize that you're burnt out. I certainly didn't. It didn't resonate with me at all. I just thought that this was how life was supposed to be. And when somebody was like, fun fact, it doesn't. I was like, oh my God you're the whole world. <laughs> it's like taking the blinders <laughs> off. So that's usually the first season. The second season is starting to reckon with that because for as much as we may not like a situation, there is a deep sense of comfort in something not changing. When yeah. something has to change, there are a lot of emotions that come along with that. And one of the big ones that I feel like we don't deal with is grief. So as people start to deal with their burnout, there can be a lot of grief of recognizing, like for me, I was like, I've been running this business for six years and this is completely out of alignment with who I am as a person and my energy and my health level right now. Like my health isn't, I don't look like an unhealthy person from the outside, but I had some stuff going on underneath that like, I didn't have the energy to put in to a job the way that my colleagues could. And I don't want a business like that. I don't want to see 80 or a hundred people a week. That's why I didn't go into biomedicine. So there was a lot of grief around what I had been putting so much energy into the loss of that, what that could become, knowing that it could become something different and far better. But also that grief of like, Oh God, did I just waste six years of my life? You know? So Mm -hmm. that second stage, we often kind of have to confront some really difficult feelings and we have to let go of a lot of control much of burnout comes from trying to control a lot of our circumstances and learning to adjust how we control our circumstances. So one of the things we might do with somebody is help them adjust their environment. Do you like the color of your walls? Do you like the art on your walls? Do you like the body wash that you use? The space that you live is the sauce that you marinate in every day. So if that doesn't feel good, if you come home from work and your house is a mess or you've got that pile of laundry in the chair in the corner of the room that I affectionately used to refer to as the roommate because it just never left. um, Those are the types of things that we start adjusting. And then as those adjustments start to happen, you may feel great. Be like, oh my God, I got this thing under control. But we're learning to course correct the way that you handle day-to-day stress from patterns that were ingrained anywhere from, you know, whenever I start working with you before then. So for me, I was 37 when I started addressing these patterns. So it takes time. And that I think can be one of the frustrating things for people as they move into that season of like, okay, recognition, we start tackling it, things feel better. And then, oh my God, this thing happens and I slide back. And so it is very much a sometimes two steps forward, one step back, four steps forward, one step back, five steps forward, three steps back. And that can be kind of a frustrating thing for people. And that's why I usually try and help them to find a multitude of individuals that they can work with to support them through this process. Because burnout isn't 
you know, burnout recovery isn't you work with me for a period of time and then you're miraculously not burnt out. It's you work with me and we help you find additional resources so that when your work is done with me, you have acupuncture appointments scheduled twice a month. You have a therapist that you can talk to and work through trauma with or whatever the case may be. So it's making sure to resource yourself throughout the process. And then it's just kind of being mindful moving forward, knowing that you're going to have those moments where you backslide. I do it all the time. My coach does it as well. She's caught herself recently, I think in, in last week, this week, sometime whenever I talked to her last, she was like, oh yeah, I took on way too much. I bought, I bit off way more than I could chew. And she is an expert in the field. It's giving yourself a little bit more grace through that process. You just mentioned something about, um, she said she bit off more than she can chew. Is that a big part of the burnout? And I'm, I'm saying this because my partner says that to me a lot, that I have so many interests and there's so many things that I want to do. He doesn't really know how I'm doing all these things. And as they're talking, I'm going, oh, maybe I'm not managing my time properly and having too much. And that's kind of making me feel burned out where it may not be just one situation. It's a lot of accumulated things going on. Yeah. And that's kind of a hallmark of burnout is it's not one thing. And so usually in instances like that, I'll do a values exercise with somebody because a values exercise is a really good way of figuring out where your boundaries are. So um, it's really simple. I can actually give you a link to the one that I use with my clients. If anybody listening would like to do it, you have a list of about a hundred different values, like spontaneity, curiosity, security, um, love, support, adventure. And you go through and you circle everything that resonates. doesn't matter how many you have. Most people end up with 25 to 30. And then you kind of block them out into groups. So if adventure, curiosity, and spontaneity are all, you know, values that kind of line up, you put them in one column. If security, support, and family connection, you put that in another column. And you set out these columns. And then from each column, you pick one word that's kind of representative. So I'm going to use curiosity because that's one of my biggest values. And then you put that into an action statement so that it's something that's actionable. So if family connection is one of your values, you can say, I want to have dinner with my family four nights a week. And then that's just your schedule that sets your boundary for you. So if five people reach out and say, let's do coffee, let's get a cocktail, let's go see a movie. You can say, okay, I've got three nights, but the other four nights are for my family. And there's some flexibility around that. Like if the kids decide like, oh, we want to go have pizza at Greg's house. Okay, well, that happens to be a free night. So, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily rigid, but it creates structure. So when you're trying to figure out where to put your energy, you need to know what you value. Because there are things that you're interested in, but there may be other things that you're more interested in. How much of the things that you're, you know, putting your time into, like, I like them, but they're resent, I'm resentful of them. You know, like I enjoy doing this thing, but 85% of the time I'm kind of frustrated by it or I'm more tired at the end of it. What gives you energy versus what takes energy? Where are you doing things that you don't have to do things? You know, if you've got a variety of interests and you're like, I want to learn how to speak French, but I also need to make marketing materials. And I like making marketing materials, but I'd rather make French or learn French, pay someone to make marketing materials. This is one of the other things that we do in burnout recovery is delegate the stuff that you don't like as much. 
just because you're capable of doing it doesn't mean that you should. So where you have the ability, delegate that to somebody else. It creates more space. I would love that link and I'll put it into the show notes as well. Absolutely. Because that sounds like a perfect exercise to just like help you get focused on, like you said, your values and what's what's important to you. A hundred percent. And it's really, I'm going to say this as well in relation to it. It's worth doing once or twice a year because we change. And so our values change. I don't need to be reminded of curiosity anymore. I'll make a list of my values and I, I put them on my phone. So I make a graphic of it and it's my lock screen. And every time I look at my phone, my values pop up. So that reminds me of them. Once I actually internalized curiosity as something that I don't have to be reminded of, I spend most of my day in a curious state. My partner and I had, I don't want to say a difficult conversation yesterday because it wasn't like we were trying to work through anything. We were just coming from two sides of a, a topic, very different sides of a topic. And because I spend most of my time in a state of curiosity, when he said something that kind of triggered that internal, like, mm, I don't like that. I really don't like what he said right now. I got curious about it. And I was like, okay, it's not that what he said is wrong. Why am I responding like this? So that's my value that I've internalized. So once I had internalized that value, I went back to that values exercise and I said, okay, what do I value now? Because I don't have to practice this anymore. I live this. So what's next? Where am I struggling? What value do I have or that I'm not holding a boundary for in my life? So it's, it is worth doing now and then because we evolve and our, our values will as well. I love your tip about putting it on a graphic and having it as your on your phone so you can just see it oh yeah all the time yeah laminate it and put it next to your mirror in your bathroom you know someplace that keep it in your wallet or your purse someplace that you can like pull it out and see it regularly so that you're like oh yeah that's a thing i'm i'm definitely taking send me the link today and i will do it today <laughs> oh i love it when you do it tag me on instagram take a picture and tag me on instagram i i will i will <laughs> So now one of the big questions is, is we've been talking about burnout and we've talked about some of the symptoms. Are there any other symptoms that you want to talk about before we move on to like, how do we like work through it and overcome it? Absolutely. And like many things in life, symptoms are varied uh, depending on the person. So it can be fatigue, resentment, brain fog is a big one that I see with people. Um, because I work in a medical field with acupuncture and functional medicine, I also see people with like gut issues. So, and, and it, these oftentimes aren't quote unquote catastrophic things, but you may just be bloated by the end of the day, every day, regardless of what you eat. Or you may have like mild IBS that doesn't like throw you completely out of whack, but like your digestion just isn't great. Insomnia is another one, tired but wired. So your body's exhausted and you go to lay down and your brain won't shut up. And so these are the types of things that we see where people aren't necessarily, in some cases they are, but they're not necessarily living with things like fibromyalgia or these really heavy, chronic, everyday issues that, that are incredibly challenging, but you're just not living an optimal life. You're always kind of tired. Your gut always just feels kind of crappy. You, uh, oftentimes I will see people, they can't exercise the way that they used to. 
So if somebody was a very avid runner or they're very um, avid yoga practitioner or they're a very active person, they either will feel more drained after a workout versus energized or they'll start sustaining more regular injuries and not be able to recover as quickly. That was a big marker for me. I used to be a dancer and I was very active and I, did, I didn't do as much of that in my late 20s and early 30s. But I got to a point where I would go to a yoga class and it was like not a crazy vinyasa yoga class. It was, you know, vinyasa, but like you hold the poses a little bit longer and it's not quite as like fast paced intensive. And I, a knee or an ankle would just be like, I don't want to do that again. And I wouldn't be able to do a yoga class for another two weeks. And that, that was fairly low intensity yoga. So those are the types of things that we can see with people symptomatically. And now the big question, what do we do to help ourselves? Because I don't, I'm not sure cure is the right word. It's, it's overcome burnout, right? It's interesting. I haven't actually thought about that in a while in the way that I talk about it. Manage is certainly a piece of it. I would, I would say managing because we do have to manage everyday stress. And so I'm not as burnt out as I used to be. I'm more aware of it, but I'm also a little hyper-conscious of the fact that it's very easy for me to slip back into that state. So it is kind of a management, but I am far less likely to slip back into that state than I was three months after I started recovery, six months after that, a year after that. You know, I've been in burnout recovery since 2019, and I'm a far more functional person than I used to be. I show up for myself better. Um, so when it comes to doing that, the first thing that I tell people is get help. Do not do this on your own. And it doesn't necessarily have to start with a burnout coach. It can be a therapist. It can be a functional medicine practitioner. It can be your PCP. You can go in and say, I just want a blood panel to check my levels, check my vitamins, check my minerals and see where I'm at. When I first started my burnout recovery, I was so shockingly vitamin D deficient <laughs> that two weeks of vitamin D supplementation and I could actually scrape myself up off the floor and make dinner. And I don't want to supplement vitamin D forever. Like that's one of the things that I talk about in, in my functional medicine is taking a pill or a supplement is not the answer, but it's a step in the process that helped me get the necessary energy to start feeding myself better. Cause I was basically living on takeout and wine. And I was able to do that with my PCP and I did that. And then I got my burnout coach and she was like, okay, you're not going to talk to anybody for three weeks that you don't need to talk to. Just don't reach out and check on friends. They're fine. If they need you, they'll reach out to you. That was one of my big energy leaks was I was trying to maintain a social structure of size that I did not have the energy to maintain. And so my social world looks very different now. There are a lot of people that I don't talk to. Not because I don't love them. They're wonderful people. I just didn't have that much energy. And I don't need that big a circle. So working with other people helped me realize this. I had done 15 years of therapy before that. Cognitive behavioral therapy, internal family systems, somatic therapy. To work on the trauma of my mother passing away. And to work on the way that I relate to the world around me. So that was a foundation that I had that I brought into my burnout recovery that I did more with. I actually ended up using psychedelics. So I used uh, psilocybin from what is colloquially referred to as magic mushrooms to help me rewire my stress patterns. 
um, and to, to turn the volume down on the intensity of my nervous system. So I've worked with a wide range of people. So if you're going to start burnout recovery, it, I hesitate to say that it doesn't matter where you start, but it almost doesn't matter where you start. Just start with a person. Trying to hack this on your own is what got you into burnout in the first place. When we try to do everything ourselves, right? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and that's usually the thing. People are like, what book can I buy? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. I, okay, I will tell you one book that you can buy because my friend wrote it. It's called The Bounce okay. Back Ability Factor. It's by Caitlin Donovan. And it is literally about burnout and the recovery process. And it's got amazing tools. Her, the values exercise that I talked about, like she's got her version of that. The, the values exercise is a very standard thing that most coaches use, but that's in there as well. She has other tools. If you're going to start with a book, that is the book, but do not make that the last stop on your burnout recovery train. Yeah. And as I'm listening to you, this is, this is like just getting your whole team together to help you. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned vitamin D because I'm really, really low on vitamin D. And, I, and I, I take vitamin D, but I don't take it every day. And it's, I'm also, what I'm hearing are the things that we need to do. We probably need to be doing them every day, not just hit and miss. That's one of those things where because we're burnt out, we can tell ourselves, I should do this every day. And then it's very hard to do it every day. And then we feel bad because we didn't do it every day. And then we get in this cycle of self-hatred. So not necessarily. And with, with something like vitamin D, I work with my functional medicine clients with this. What type of vitamin D are you taking? Because certain types are more absorbable than others. And what else is going on in your body that is preventing you from getting, making vitamin D when you're out in the sun or utilizing the vitamin D that you have? Um, there are a variety of reasons as to why you might be vitamin D deficient. So I don't always tell people, like, just get a supplement and go from there. There may be something going on underneath, like an infection or some sort of biochemical process that means that you're not getting enough, retaining enough, or utilizing it in the right way. So that's part of the reason that I do the physical medicine, the functional medicine with my clients. It's one of the things that I can do is that we can address that in the process of your burnout coaching. But it's really important to work with people who understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and go. What's your favorite tool with your to use with your clients? Oh, geez. This one's hard because I have a lot of tools. Up to now, I would probably say the values exercise because it tends to shock people where their values lie. Because oftentimes we try and function in a way that we think is beneficial for society or for our household or whatever the case may be. So if somebody has a loving husband and three kids and they really care about their family and they do the values exercise and they find out that family is not one of their values, that can be shocking to them. But if curiosity is one of your values, and that makes you a more patient parent, you're showing up for your family. If adventure is one of your values, and you can bring that to the table and say, okay, we're going rock climbing this weekend. We've never been rock climbing. We're going to do a thing. We're, we're going to go on an adventure. We're going to do something. You can loop that into something that is more beneficial for your family. So that can be a really interesting place to work with people. 
because sometimes you will go through the values exercise and you'll circle stuff. I will tell people, make your list and then go back and look and actually check and see, do you value family? Do you value cooperation or do you value autonomy? Because those things are very different and neither one of them is bad. But you need to be able to understand your own values in order to show up fully for your life, for yourself, for your family, for your work. That would be my favorite one probably up until this point. I am in the process of possibly, I hope, (laughs) becoming a psychedelic preparation and integration coach. So helping people utilize psilocybin, either microdosing or macrodosing, safely. That's not something that I can provide for them. We're in the United States. It's still illegal, but I have had a lot of clients who have already acquired this material and come to me and said, how do I do this safely? And I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry and a master's degree in herbal medicine. So I'm uniquely positioned to do that. And that was probably the thing that made the biggest difference in my burnout recovery. Once I was at a point where I could utilize it, it isn't the first thing that I would go to. And the burnout recovery that I did up until that point was critical for me being able to utilize the medicine appropriately and get the most out of that experience. But that's where I probably got the biggest bang for my buck. And that's where I'm really, really, really excited to take clients. When you do that, will you be going to another country to do that? Or how would, how would you be doing that? That is a possibility and I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I'm looking at mostly working with individuals who are currently in places where it's decriminalized. Because as I said, it is still legally speaking a schedule one controlled substance, but it's decriminalized in a handful of places. There are pushes for legalization in a lot of places. I know that there was uh, legislation put forth in New York last month to make it legal. There's been legislation um, where I'm at in Rhode Island to either decriminalize or make it legal. So there's a lot of push for this happening. So this is kind of the anticipation of what's coming down the pike. There are people who just already have it and want to do it safely. So that's not something that I would give. And it's not necessarily something that like, I I don't condone going out and trying to find it. But for the people who already have it, I'm very passionate about making sure that they can do it safely. So what is the one big takeaway that you want our listeners to get from, from our conversation today, because it has been fabulous and I've loved it. Oh, I'm so glad. I really enjoyed it too. The biggest takeaway I would say is if you think you might be burnt out, you probably are. So that's okay. A lot of people are, you're not alone. And if you are going to try and attack this head on, please, please, please do not do it alone. You don't have to work with me. You can follow hashtag burnout recovery on Instagram or hashtag end burnout culture. There are places that you can find people talking about this. If you look for those types of things on LinkedIn, there are a lot more people getting into the sphere of burnout recovery and prevention that you can work with. And there are people who are specific to what you need. So if you work in corporate, I can help find somebody for you who works with people in corporate. I can do some of that, but I specialize mostly with entrepreneurs and individuals. You know, if you are somebody who runs a company or is an, a manager at a company and you're like, I want to change the company culture, check out LinkedIn, or I can point you to people who help work with organizations, but don't try and hack this alone. What would your future self thank Dr. Eliza for? The Dr. Eliza of today. Her tenacity, her tenacity and 
her willingness to put herself out in the world, which is something that I didn't realize because I'm an introvert and I actually didn't bring that to my attention. My partner did. Um, he just became a marriage and family therapist and he's thinking about writing a book at some point. And he's, he, he was like, I never would have thought to go out in the world and like maybe try and get on podcasts, but watching you do that, he goes, you just throw yourself at, at, at anything at this point. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Sometimes you need the outside world <laughs> to point that out to you. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I really do. All right. And I didn't have that three years ago when I was burnt out. So that recovery process has been critical for me to actually show up in the world, to be able to talk about this. And I think that my future self will really appreciate that because I want to make a big impact on the world. Oh, I love that. And where can people find you? How can they work with you, your website, everything about Dr. Eliza? Absolutely. So you can find my website at theburnoutwitch.com. And I'm primarily active with various humor and jackassery on Instagram. I do lots of funny reels and I try and make things engaging. Um, you can PM me there, DM me there. I'm pretty, pretty active there. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm less active there, but I do show up and check messages. Um, so those are the three primary places that you can find me. I, I, again, again, I've got, got to say, say I love everything that you've talked about. And just thank you very much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Cindy. It is absolutely my pleasure. I really, really appreciate an opportunity to talk about it. And I hope that your viewers get a lot out of it. All right, my friends, it's time to wrap up this episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. I hope you found inspiration and guidance in our conversation. Remember to visit CynthiaMacMillan.com for the links and resources mentioned today. Until we meet again next time, I encourage you to keep embracing the ever-changing seasons of your life. Learn from the past, embrace the present, and look forward to the future. And always remember to prioritize self-care and self-love. You are truly worthy of all the wonderful things that life has to offer.